welcome to Upbringing. We're Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Today's episode is supported by Tradlands, high quality, sustainably crafted essentials for women inspired by classic menswear. Founder Sadie Roberts believes that while spending time on how we look and feel is important, keeping things basic can free up our time and energy for other important things, our relationships, our businesses, our dreams, stuff like that. Tradlands is produced ethically using recycled, high-quality materials. Visit tradlands.com and enter code UPBRINGING15 for 15% off your purchase. Now on to our conversation. Today on the podcast, we speak with Lindsay Meyer Harley, owner of children's shop Darling Clementine and founder of Still We Rise, an Instagram-based community auction that offers goods and experiences to raise money for amazing causes. Six auctions in, the Still We Rise community of artists, shopkeepers, and creatives has raised over $300,000 for organizations like the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, Moms Demand Action, and the Natural Resource Defense Council. We loved connecting with Lindsay about how good and overwhelming go hand in hand with her nine-year-old daughter and five-year-old son, how Still We Rise came to be, and why our kids' voices are their power. knowledge that you're never off duty no matter how crappy you feel or how much you don't feel like doing something just there's nobody no one is going to care for your kids like you no matter how close your village is that when, when you don't feel well and your kiddos need something like it's on you and there's just I mean I guess that's parenthood but there's no there's no escape no matter how hard it gets and having to accept that and not resent that piece um i think is hard you know it was hard for me i never get a sick day that's not fair but i that's not fair to them you know it's just a well we don't have an official thing that we sign on to as parents being like well i'm gonna sign on the dotted line that this is what my life is gonna look like so Mm -hmm. Here are the things I'm giving up. This is, I'm signing This is my what I'm, my life is going to look like as a doctor. This is what my life is going to look like as pretty much any other thing. It's, it's pretty predictable. There's a an, an awareness beforehand. And I feel like parenting, we just have no idea. Especially no with idea. the invisible things like that, where it's that mental load of just the, the gift and the burden of being so wholly relied on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. to be so wholly relied on gives you the more profound love than anything ever. And reminding yourself that with with the good comes the overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it really is. And like you said, you have friends, someone with four kids, it just, the, you know, little problems come and go. But others can, for some reason, that spilt cuppy and just is overwhelming. And it's <laughs> one more thing to clean up or one more thing to do. Um but it's okay. It's okay to say to your friends, I'm overwhelmed, I need a night out. And then you come home refreshed and you know you love those little people, so. Totally, it's worth it. We call it chosen and lucky. <clears throat> Especially, mm-hmm. that's like our mantra in the harder moments where we're like, we're chosen and lucky. Also, something that gets me through and I remind my husband, anytime things seem overwhelming, and this, it sort of humbles you as a parent, reminding yourself that this is their life. And this is their Monday, their Tuesday. This is their day. And it's not that you're running errands and they're impeding it with their outburst or their meltdown or their hunger and you need to pull over and get a snack. This is their day. And why should they have to come along for your ride? It often feels like we're along for their ride. But think about what they have, what their choices are. They're just thrown in the car and we got to do this, this, and this. And if they're going to have a meltdown, like, it's okay. It's their day too. So that that line, it's their day mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And how do you mm-hmm. want their day to be? Love that. I don't want them to, up until 18, just be along for the ride. 
Um, And that that kind of humbles you back into deep breath. It's their day two. Maybe maybe we need to turn the tables and ask, what do you guys want to do right now? Yeah. Instead of just dragging them along. That's such a respectful mindset. And just even if it's not offering them more participation or, you know, thought in their day, it's just that mind shift of what are they going through? Like, well, what is their little life path right now? We just finished, um, you finished reading the Groundhog Day, the magic of Groundhog Day mm-hmm. that talks about personal realities and how <clears throat> we as parents have this personal reality, this lens that we see the world through, our expectations, our judgments, our, <clears throat> our triggers, our beliefs, all of these things. And we just kind of believe like, this is our movie, we're the star of the movie. And everyone should be like, why are you fucking with my script, you know? Um, and how how do you like, as a parent, create a mutual reality where their personal reality is coexisting with your personal reality? That's like the work of parenting, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Getting everyone's needs met, everyone's personal realities fused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also seeing that if you, like, well, I work from home, so it's just to backtrack a little, I work from home and my kids have seen me work from home since the day they were, well, since the day Jack was born, I was working in the delivery room and Juliet was two when I opened Darling Clementine. So my kids know that mommy works from home and that's normal, but they still need me to stop working, get on the floor and play with them and know that, and I know that when I get back onto the computer, I, I've filled them up Mm-hmm. And that'll that'll last for a couple of hours. If I keep putting it off, they'll just keep needing more. And God mm-hmm. forbid, feel like I don't care enough. You know, I would mm-hmm. never want that either. Mm-hmm. So it's that balance of like knowing your kids' signals. When is it, mommy, I want to build this, but they're fine moving on? And when do you really need to stop what you're doing? Connect. And <clears throat> connect because their, their voice is their power whether they're throwing something across the room or you know, sitting next to you asking over and over and over and over where you're like, I just need to finish this one email. But mm-hmm. to them, they just might need their little buckets filled up. Totally. And you were that like liquid gold for them. You yes. Know? Um, your like world is so virtual in a lot of ways. And like, how have you kind of, just like you described, code switch between your virtual community and your home community. Like how do you, especially when you work from home, figure out when to do what thing. And when your you virtual know? community yeah. and your work don't turn off, really. Yeah, They're they don't there. turn off for sure. Yeah. Uh, when I opened, I was very aware that I was online and scared that I would be, I would feel isolated. And you know, Instagram, I don't exactly know when it began, but it, <laughs> I, it was not around for me when I opened. Okay. I mean, I look back like, how was I expecting to get business? Just hoping someone would type in my website. Uh-huh. You know, without social media the way it is now, it feels archaic. But I I made a real decision, one, not to hide behind the business. I wouldn't pretend it's this big company. I wanted shoppers to know that it was a mom who owned it, who had children. These are what they look like. This is them, you know, in the office. I wanted, that's where I would want to shop. Um, and then social media really took off and it became a place where I could connect with other people, other moms, other uh, amazing souls who wanted to share that aren't necessarily my neighbor or my customer. And I, I loved that. I love, I love connecting online. I've really cut back on the amount of scrolling I do, but I do really focus on the people that I've connected with because I would invite any of them over for dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, these aren't people that I'm envious of or copying or following just because. These are people who I've invested, I've invested in. And I, my customers, I mean, I've watched some of them go from one baby to four and watched their struggles and seen their heartaches. And it feels very weird since I don't know them in person. But if I had a storefront, mm-hmm. you better believe I would know them in person. They're friends, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've I've made that, I've opened that door and I enjoy it. It's not, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. I have friends who loathe social media for business and want to outsource it. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, but if you, if you don't want to do it, mm-hmm. I, I can understand, but. But there, like you said, there's so many ways to go about doing it that are like 
customized to you and to the relationships and to the really good parts of of what social media can provide. Yes, you know? I have very little negative experience. Um, I don't have trolls. I don't have that. I mean, it, it happens to anyone, but it's what you put in, I suppose. I don't post things that don't feel authentic. Um, yeah, it's what you put in. If you're honest and you're really invested in somebody else's experience and not just writing like great pick, mm-hmm. you're going to get back something yeah. beautiful. Well, and then Still Rise was the first thing that I'd ever seen as far as fundraising goes on social media. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen anything like that Me either. before. Um, and that was so inspiring that it's not just a relationship you have with somebody else, but that you're actually all coming together in this really collaborative way to help a cause or a group of people or a mission of some sort, you know? Well, How did Still We Rise happen? Tell us a little about it. So Still We Rise began in my head as I was stressed out after Trump took office. I, you know, we all felt completely helpless and that we were in for the next four or possibly eight years and what could we do? And I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to throw at causes that I love like most of us don't have that kind of expendable income but I strongly felt that everybody has something to offer and he put the Muslim ban into effect and I saw people all over this country showing up at airports um it it was the it was the non-stop talk in my world for for that first week and I thought okay what what can I do because I can't donate a ton of money because I and I'm not a lawyer right so I'm not a lawyer I can't show up at airports and offer my services but I can raise can I raise money I can raise money I can do that Um, I'm I'm hyper aware of people's desire to stay where they're comfortable and I think Instagram is a comfort zone for many people I don't want to give too many people too much direction go here, do this. I just want it to be in front of their face. So I knew somehow I had to do it on Instagram instead of a website somewhere else, right? Because then people say they'll go and then they don't. Um, So I just emailed every vendor that I've ever stocked, every person I know who makes anything, who owns a shop, who has a service of any kind, and everyone said yes. I mean, in caps, back. Yes, 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 what can I, you know? And I said, ask 10 friends and so on. Um, And so it came together really quickly. And it was a beautiful thing. And I didn't know what I was doing. And we raised $12,000 in the first auction. And since we're at 130 or 322,000 we've raised since uh, since 2017. So it's a really powerful community of people who come together over and over. I mean, most of my, most of those who donate, donate over and over and over and over to every single one, which is a testament to the community. Who, yes, of course, whatever you need is, is usually the answer I get. Um, and it's, I mean, how can you go wrong? You buy something you like, you donate money to a good cause. It's a win-win. Um, and then people feel like, I, I, I can't donate anything. I'm just a graphic designer. I'm like, offer your services. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, your husband has a restaurant. Offer a dinner. It doesn't have to be a shop credit. Or, we all have something to offer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I had a friend who sews absolutely beautiful uh, homemade dolls. She doesn't have a business. She, each one is so intricate and takes a very long time. So she said, I'll donate one. And just everyone coming together, you two donating that gorgeous rug, which I wanted so bad. Um, just everything. I think it's, it, it, I hadn't even thought of why you've chosen Instagram to kind of get in front of people's faces where if you say, go to this link, read this thing, you don't want to be too pushy. You don't want it to be too disconnected from their regular lives. Exactly. And I feel like you and I have, that's a, a reason we value you is because like, we have felt very disconnected the past several years. While as we've been connecting more in parenting and in this upbringing thing, I feel like we've had to kind of disconnect a little bit from some other things. And politics has been one of those where we're like, sometimes we're able to dive in, other times we're like, la la la, can't handle it. 
it can be really overwhelming to engage yeah. with politics and activism with activism and when you said you don't want to be too pushy i think there are people out there who could do more than just buy something too like i could use a little pushy in my life and (laughs) you want to get pushed i could get a little push and i think that we talk about this so much because we feel that kind of like political activism in some ways is really similar to parent parenting activism which is Mm -hmm. what we're trying to be working on it's a sensitive arena Nobody feels that they know enough. No one feels that they can do enough. It's very personal to some people. We have a lot of limiting beliefs about it. People feel very helpless about it. It's scary. They kind of want to be pushed, but they don't want to be pushed too hard. Um, Yeah, so what would you recommend to us, to our listeners, about other things we can do, other places we can go, other than your amazing feed, to be just kind of connecting with what's going on and learning more about what's going on? Where do you go? For everything. Where do I go? Um, I watch a lot of MSNBC, which I understand is, you know, has a point of view. Mm-hmm. But I enjoy, I enjoy the learning of it. I don't just want to be told a headline. I want to unpack how did it get that way? Why is it this way? And I think, I think a lot of people uh, shy away from it because it doesn't always make sense. And I, mm-hmm. I think. It's, it's not necessarily going to make sense, but the more you understand it, the more it becomes clearer. The more context you get. Yes, and and despite all of my interest and my reading, if I don't understand something, I will go and investigate. You know, you hear a term, a political term, and you just assume, like, I guess I should know what that is, but if you don't, like, go look it up. Go, go do the research, or if you hear... Um, why is something racially charged? Let's go find out. Let's go and do the work of of it. No, don't just expect someone else to to teach it all to you. Um, I would recommend um, reading a reputable newspaper a few times a week. I'm not the best at that. We had a Sunday Times subscription, and it just started piling up and piling up. Mm-hmm. And I think it felt more of a summer luxury to sit outside with a cup of coffee. And the paper. Um, there's a lot of social media accounts that do a really good job. Um, it depends on what medium you like. I know a lot of people who don't have cable television, so mm-hmm. watching the news that way is out. Um, I would suggest reading the New York Times is a really good place to start. I like this, generally speaking, this idea that activism is not just about what we can do, it's about what we can understand. So it's, a, it's not about doing something, but it's about the process of engaging in. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as this goes with parenting, how does it work if you have news on, if you're this is such a passion of yours, how do you find that kind of fine line between explaining to your kids what's going on, involving them to a certain extent, but being careful not to like overwhelm them about grown-up stuff or about the state of the world the world which is really tough um i probably overshare with my kids um because i imagine being them and having my my parents getting ready to do a march or go work on my auction work and 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 they're wondering what is she doing so i i don't think I think sharing with them is the way to go. I know many parents who don't. Um, I'm not sharing gory details with my kids, but in general, politics isn't really gory. Mm-hmm. You know, local news talking about a hit and run. I mean, that those are things that I, I find myself quick quickly to turn off mm-hmm. um, because it's maybe super close to home. But political understanding, I I, I lead with what mainly my nine-year-old is curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, for an example, all that's been on the news for the last month and a half has been this government shutdown. And just because you hear that term doesn't mean you understand it. And I asked her, do you know what a government shutdown is? And she said, no. And I said, are you interested? Do you want to understand what this is all about? And she said, yes. And I bring it down to her terms. I said, you know, if your principal decided to shut stop paying all the teachers Mm -hmm. and kind of used her world to explain because you know she's hearing it why shouldn't she understand it Mm -hmm. yeah or if it's something that you're talking about a lot and something mm -hmm. you're doing every day 
they should understand the why behind it so they can <clears throat> feel closer to you or feel connected to what you're doing in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if she yeah. says, not really, then I'm not here to push. Mm-hmm. Um, our kids have been to a lot of protests, march, and rallies. I've never taken them as a prop or because I didn't have childcare. They knew why we were marching, mainly my nine-year-old daughter because my four-year-old's been, or five-year-old now, has been going since he was way too young to even care where we were as long as his mom and dad were nearby but I don't just take them and stick a sign in their arms I we talk about why we're doing this and all all of the big changes in this country and how they were caused by people putting pressure on the government I mean Mm -hmm. changes don't happen because people are sitting around having tea Mm -hmm. it is because people are in the streets and I want my kids to understand that totally I love that um, did you go to rallies as a kid? What was your upbringing like as far as activism goes? There was very little activism in my mm. life as a kid. Um, however, I grew up overseas, so I don't know if that was the reason. Um, mm. I grew up in Hong Kong from the age of 10 on, and Hong Kong was quite a a safe happy place to grow up for us Mm. there wasn't a lot I mean I never saw a protest until I don't know until I was an adult Mm. I but it's it's part of my life now with our kids and I I love it I love seeing parents whole families at marches it feels very much it feels organic that okay the next generation is going to be okay if they're learning from the start that you've got to get out and speak up what else are you doing differently than the way you were raised or than your childhood experience with your kids? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, I want to know what brought you to Hong Kong first. Um, my dad was offered a job, and in a joking sort of nonchalant way, my parents said, oh, they're offering us a trip to Hong Kong to, to check it out. We'll go and we'll see. And they went, and the whole time they were there, they would give each other a look across the table like, this is never going to happen. And then the job offer came, and my parents thought, what better gift could we give our kids than the world? And not on a vacation, but to have them experience another culture fully. And so they said, yeah. And it was the best thing that's Mm -hmm. ever happened to our whole family. I mean, I, I, I... I wish I had a job that I could just drop mm-hmm. everything and live anywhere. Did you go to an American school? Or I did. Okay. Do you I have did. siblings? Who were you with? I have three siblings. Okay. One had graduated high school and stayed behind in Los Angeles, and the other two went with us. Um, I did go to an American school mainly because my parents always assumed I'd go to an American college, and to be able to sort of start that education process to get into an American college um, it was decided that that would be the way to, the way to do it, mm-hmm. but you know I was the minority, which I think is a really important thing to feel not only as a white person but as an American. I think in America we have this feeling that we rule the world mm-hmm. and we don't, um, and I think the only way to really feel that is to not be the majority in a space. Um, being white was. I was the odd one out. Being Jewish, I was, you know, super the odd one out. So, but I, in, in a great way, in yeah. a great way. It kind of just... felt accepted and made friends. And, oh, yeah. And it pushed me to mm-hmm. never shy away from being friendly and making new friends and all of the things that you were all worried about that kids are not going to be able to do. It's like just my parents just threw us into the new pool and said, learn to swim. And it makes me feel like my kids can tackle anything and that kids are so resilient, you know. Yeah, I love that. And I like what you said about just filling up their bucket like that. Mm -hmm. We talk about that, just making anchor points throughout the day to really connect, connect. I don't think people realize that's a thing, that you're really, that connection, like, total well, like kids go <clears throat> the attachment means they go away and then they need to come back to get mm-hmm. kind of nourished again and then they that allows them to go away farther for longer you know and when we yeah. put that off it just mm. increases the anxiety and the insecurity 
Yes. But I think yeah. people don't realize that they're like half paying attention and half spending time so much. And I'm, it really I'm just, so it's something we all struggle that. with, but, but the times that we are able to really just mindfully be doing one thing, dedicate total well, attention. That's one thing about my work and my personality and being a parent that has come together. I have learned really well to work in bursts in all aspects like I can nail a whole bunch of work, hear a mom, drop it, go really focus on them and come right back to my work and not feel like I've lost my train of thought. That's amazing. Yeah, that torture of feeling torn all the time. No, yeah. I don't I don't feel yeah. torn. Well, especially because you're just doing so many things. You have Darling Clementine, you have Still We Rise, you have like just me. Yeah, a million other things. As a person. You yeah. as a person. My husband. Uh-huh. I, yeah. But I think that has that has taken that's the work. That is that's what you know, having a business that's seven years old has finally done. I don't get to go to an office and shut a door and bye bye and say, you know, I'll see you this evening and focus. So I have to be able to stop an email halfway because I hear a crash in the other room or someone needs their tushy cleaned and mm-hmm. you know, someone leaves the water running in the bathroom. I have to be able to stop fix, attend, and come back. Mm -hmm. And it is definitely a pat-on-my-back-worthy skill that has taken a long time to hone and feel like I really, really do... I really can handle 10 balls juggling up in the air. But I think it's just knowing that I need to focus on the family, but that I also have to check in. Yeah, and having those... It sounds like really that things are... the priorities are really balanced where your kids aren't interrupting you from your work or your work isn't interrupting with your kids like both are valuable and you're going to just go with whatever needs to be dealt with in the moment yes and you know a customer doesn't need an answer within five minutes but if I'm going to be leaving the house for five hours they'll get an answer in five minutes because I would like to get that off my plate Mm -hmm. and then focus on my on my kids um that is, I guess it, it's just taken, it's taken practice to be able to dip in and out of everything. And to not feel emotional about it, I would imagine. Like, I still get emotional. I will fight, get stressed <clears throat> because I don't think I have the practice of doing that. I think it happened in our very early years, and I was like, this doesn't feel good. I can't handle it. But <clears throat> so I would just kind of compartmentalize a little bit more. Yeah, that, yeah. maybe that's my personality, to mm-hmm. be able to bounce back and forth um i did i read an article a couple years ago that stuck with me and i wish i had the link because i would love to share it with both of you and i will i'll look for it about getting on the floor with your kids Mm -hmm. and how that scientifically is different than like if you're standing in the kitchen talking to them Mm -hmm. that getting down physically like on the floor play Mm-hmm. with you know kids under a certain age of course but that yeah. and I've made a point of physically getting on the ground to play and that somehow it changes that feeling of I'm the adult you're the kiddo mm-hmm. there's something grounding about it you're kind of on the same level and you're looking at them in the eye and they know that you fully committed to this moment so sitting down on the floor mm-hmm. with your kids to play is just somehow different than while you're shuffling around and doing things just you can't do all of the mommy things when you're down there yeah where our intention and our actual physicality need to line up a little bit Mm -hmm. I mean I think about that with my partner too where like I'll just be like saying things from the other room to him or like literally like he'll ask me a question and I like turn my back because I'm just I'm doing something else and it's like I've been really handle it and you'll be fine right however it would be nice I've been really trying to just face him and get closer to him because Kelty and I talk a lot about that with our kids especially in the trying moments I love that you brought that up with play which is so true but in those hard moments it's like get down to their level get lower than their level especially when it's scary yeah Yeah, get in there Closer, quicker. Yes, closer, yeah. quicker. Yeah. yeah, but I think we can get in there closer, quicker with everybody. Yeah, and I, but I think you that's know. it's just deciding to when you're interacting with someone, actually connect instead of just interact. Because when you're just mm-hmm. interacting, you can still be folding laundry across the room or zipping around, putting things away, or 
you know, connecting requires proximity mm-hmm. and focus and focus and paying attention. And it's so easy to, I don't know, I feel like it's those times that I hear myself saying, I'll be right there because I'm still doing little things, picking things up, throwing a thing in the sink, running, tossing the laundry. I'll be right there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if I've said it a couple times, it sort of hits me that I need to just go sit over, like you said. Or don't t- give them this idea that you will be right there. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, mommy's doing mommy's something. finishing something. Yeah. I'll let you know when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Even if that's three minutes away. Yeah. But it, to avoid the, why aren't you here yet? Mommy, mommy, mommy. Yeah. It's almost like you're lying to them that you'll mm-hmm. be right there when you kind of deep down know that you need to finish cooking those it onions be before. Five minutes. Yeah. yeah, being honest with them. Um, and then and then really showing up when you say mm-hmm. when you say you were going to because exactly. I'm I'm horrible at saying I'm just finishing one thing but like what does that mean to kids mm-hmm. I mean I'm literally finishing one thing but maybe be more clear yeah that unconscious mm-hmm. communication I think we do all the time with each other but kids will like hold you to that they will mm-hmm. like bust that myth oh you <laughs> said yeah. you said you totally said, yeah. yeah but like that's the great thing that they they bring us into just a greater consciousness and awareness of like what we're saying, what we're doing, how we're feeling, how that affects other people. Um, it is a pain in the ass gift. Straight up. Straight up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, what is it like? Our kids are all, we had four kids in three years between the two of us. And your kids are four years apart. Mm-hmm. How has that been? I know nothing different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think there's so much to be said about every age gap. I think there's no, there's no right or wrong age gap. We lived in New York, and we knew we were not having a double stroller, which seems super superficial. But we knew that doorways didn't always fit double strollers, mm-hmm. and we lived on the fourth floor of a walk-up. So for us, it was a practical decision to have one in kindergarten when the other came along and I would be able to give myself to the second one in a more fully, a full way than having two at home. But then I see friends who have two at home at the same time and it seems beautiful in its own ways. Um, It's wonderful because they both have their own lives in in a way. Juliet comes home from school and she has had a whole day of learning and being with her friends, and then, in my opinion, gets to relax down in age a little to be with her younger sibling, mm-hmm. and gets to enjoy being, not having to pretend to be more mature than I think a nine-year-old acts a lot. I think mm-hmm. it's, the, it's, it's the straddling of wanting to be older, but also wanting to be young again. Mm-hmm. And I, I love seeing her get down on the floor and play with the, the, as she puts it, the baby Legos, <laughs> but doing it with joy. Mm. She's not being, no one's pushing her to act older at home. I think girls are pushed to act older everywhere. Mm-hmm. So to get to come home and run in and what's Jack doing? What's he playing? What, you know, what nine year old still uses crayons at school? Well, she gets to come home and mm-hmm. draw with crayons. And I think that's really special. And their age gap has allowed her to mommy Jack a little bit, but also get to be his peer. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then what about for him? Like he has this older sister to look up to. Mm-hmm. Like, And you know, in mm-hmm. before I had kids, I think I always thought I want an older boy to protect this younger sister. And now I look at it like he has this older sister to teach him how to treat mm-hmm. women, how to treat people and of course she'll look out for him and he'll look out for her. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it is funny though, when you have more than one child, what you allowed the first one to do at what age and then the second one just starts doing all those things much earlier because like they're riding a scooter. Mm-hmm. I mean, Juliet, it was like every limb was covered in a <laughs> in some sort of um, pad, pad <laughs> or a helmet. And she didn't get one until she was four. And Jack was riding one at age two down the street mm-hmm. because he was watching her do it. When he, oh. And it was adorable. And he couldn't turn. So he would get off and physically turn That's it. That's what the boys are doing right now. Which yeah. is the yeah. sweetest thing ever. I mean, take a, take videos. <clears throat> it's the best. They go straight. And then they stop. And they get off. Pivot. And they have to move it. And it's the cutest thing ever. And I, we didn't have that with Juliet. Because when she was, she was more 
able to do the turns because she was much older. So just seeing them, seeing, I mean, they're, they're best friends and seeing that, what, 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 what better gift is that? The highs are high and the lows are low and that's okay. That's a dream. We love talking about sibling relationships, that idea that, you know, they're, that's, could be the longest relationship they have in their lives. Yes. Probably will be if they're mm-hmm. lucky, you know, and that it starts right now and that you get to watch that and nurture it and, you know, hopefully we will get in the way of it, which we talk about a lot because it's hard. Oh, but you're, you're not in the way. You're part of it. I mean, imagine them as grown-ups. Mom, this, mom, that. Did you call mom today? Like, that's what we all want. That's what we're like. That's that's the dream that they're calling. Did you call mom today? I don't know. What is she upset about? You know, th- that's that's the best. But that's their relationship. Yeah, that's. I know. I ho- I hope so badly that they are as close as they always are. But they share a room. And like I said, we live in a small space. They can see they they're on top of each other. And right now, knock on wood, it's it's everything good. And that's unusual in Portland to live in a small space. I've lived in small spaces since I was a young kid, and I like seeing everybody and hearing the noises. I imagine in their beds they hear us talking in the living room, and that must be soothing, whether they mm-hmm. think about it or not. Um, I grew up in cities, hearing cars, hearing people walking on the street. To me, that is, that's white noise to me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. If there is one question that we can be asking ourselves more often, what would that be? Well, I, would, I would ask myself, what did I do for myself today and what did I do for my family? And some days that's going to be something extravagant and some days it's just going to be I prioritized taking a hot bath or I bathed my kids and I played music and we had a dance party. It doesn't have to be in a trip to the ice cream store or a night out with girlfriends. It can literally just be a cup of coffee that you mindfully enjoyed. But like I said earlier with, you know, it's, it's their day also. What did you do for them on their day? Did you connect? Did you play a family game? Or did you give them space to be alone if they needed to be alone? We all need to be alone sometimes. That was fun. That was really fun. I like having interviews in person. Yeah. How do you feel? I like eye contact for sure. Yeah. And I think you and I do better with our twin thing where we're not worried we're going to interrupt the other one as much. <laughs> I feel I interrupt less in general because I can actually see if the person's going to speak or not. Yeah, yeah absolutely. kind of trippy. Um, Lindsay is wonderful. She's so wonderful. What did you like about our conversation? What were some takeaways for you, Cal? Oh, so many things. I, I loved it when she said that our kids' voices are their power. Mm-hmm. And she, I think she gave the examples like whether they're <clears throat> throwing a toy across the room or sitting next to you whining or whatever it is, like that's their power is their voice. And it tied so beautifully into everything she's doing in building this kind of like life of and family of activism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really easy for us. I, at least for me, to honor my kid's voice and uh, appreciate its power when they are laughing or when they're standing up for something they believe on the playground with another kid. Mm-hmm. But I think that at least personally, it's really hard for me to value and respect that voice when it's aimed at me derogatorily. Mm-hmm. That's really tricky that's for like me. That's like a bad power, not yeah, a good power. That's how I think of it. Yeah. But I mean, I think like Lindsay said, it's really critical that we honor that voice and that power just as much as... Um, as the other times, because they need to see that their voice has has a place in their home, has a place in their relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, how, how could you know, we take them to <clears throat> rallies and marches and protests and say, this is how the tides change in the world when people hit the streets and, and, and show that their voice is their power and then bring our kids home and be like, but not when this is happening, but not when that is happening. Your voice is not your power here. Sorry. Mm-hmm. 
I think that don't rise up against me. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a big topic that you and I talk about because we struggle with it Mm -hmm. so much Mm -hmm. is how do we not squelch that, that beautiful spirit and that amazing power that's going to grow into uh, a pounding the fucking pavement person Mm -hmm. someday. Well, and that's the amazing thing that allowing and, um, acknowledging our kids power and their voice in these tougher situations doesn't mean that we're letting them not take a bath or throw that thing at their brother. We're not being permissive in that way, but we're just respecting the voice. Yeah. We're respecting <clears throat> the urge. We're letting them speak their minds, stomp their feet, show up at that rally. Mm-hmm. They have every right to show the, up at the their rally own rallies. about the tub. Right, their own rallies. <laughs> the rally about they dinner. Have every right yeah. to stand up there, stomp their feet, yell, raise their, you know, um, protest their signs. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how that grows. But that's kind of the gray area stuff where people are like, great, that sounds wonderful. I would love to respect my kids and let all that happen. How do I do that without letting them walk all over me? What does that look like? What does that actually look like? We're going to have this in some of our empowerment episodes, I think with some more Mm -hmm. serious examples, but yeah, I mean, I would say that it's what we would do in the workplace or hopefully with our partnerships. It's, it's listening. It's acknowledging their position it's reflecting what they're saying back to them it's validating their uh their feelings or their stance or whatever it is and then if there's an opportunity which there usually is at some point after they have felt heard and seen to then state my concern is or as soon as this happens we can do this or i would love to do that next time and you know putting up that boundary or that limit lovingly neutrally but firmly mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah, because they're not going to win all their rallies early on. And that's really good for them to learn, too, that yeah. you still keep going, even if you don't win every time, even if the powers that be, you know, rain down on you or mm-hmm. have to squash you. But I think that that's also a really wonderful thing to show them, too, is that when they're in power as adults, our kids can learn how to wield that power respectfully. So not just as activists, but as people in power. It's as a really, leaders. yeah, as leaders, it's a really great model to be doing what we can be showing them as parents. Yeah. We can be that respectful, responsible, benevolent leader to yeah. them that hopefully they'll become someday. Right. Yeah. Okay. What else did you like? I'm just going to keep going. I had another thing to say. You did, Kel? Oh yeah. Okay. You keep going. Though. Okay. Um, I, I mean, this was one of the very first things that she started the interview with. I think when Lindsay said that one of the hardest things, but also one of the beautiful things about parenting is that you're never off duty as a parent and Mm -hmm. that it's been such a challenge for her to accept instead of resent that there's no escape. And I connected with that so Mm -hmm. much. I've had so many moments just of that claustrophobic feeling. has been out of town. So you've been alone with the kids for like going on five days, six days. Yeah. That could, that could be part of it. Yeah. But I mean, we all have those moments yeah. more strongly than others in, di- in different ages with our kids sometimes more than others. But I think we also sort of connected a little bit to the fact that we don't, as parents, sign it on the dotted line, knowing exactly what we're, what we're in for, what we are responsible for, what that's going to look like, what that's going to mean when we become parents. We think, great, I want a kid. I want to have a family. I want... I want that thing I see some of my friends have or my family or I, I was a kid once. I'm pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Let's do that thing. And and unlike any other job, you don't know what what that actually entails unless you've like, you know, worked in as a caregiver or a preschool teacher or yeah. not just um, what it's going to feel like, but what it's actually going to look like and yeah. entail. And yeah. that's what it, that's why we brought those examples up as like, you know, when you decide to work a, you know, a company job at this, you kind of know what you're in for, but that's what this is, a job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not, that's certainly not something I realized when no. I became a parent, Hannah, like, was like, this is, I have my job and I have my life and then I'm going to have this third job, which is being a parent, which is raising a human, raising a human being and spending all my time taking care of them and cleaning up after them and making sure they're and okay. advocating for them and yeah. nurturing them and so giving, 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 giving. Yeah. It's a job. Yeah. It's, and you know, Yeah. I'm not quite sure where I was going with that, but I was just like, Jesus. Yeah, it's pretty big. But I think that that leads into Lindsay's awesome comment Mm. about mutual realities. How do we create, how do we honor our kids' 
reality and experience as their own. You know, they get their day or something like that that she said. It's their day too. It's their day too. And then also finding a way to honor our day and we get our day and she kind of brought that around at the end Mm -hmm. of how what what, what did she say Kel like how can we be honoring ourselves how can we be honoring she said what did I do for myself today and what did I do for my kid right but that's but that's bringing up that mutual reality again saying I'm in my own mind in my own body in my own spirit I'm experiencing the world in one way this is my story this is my story my narrative right and then my kids are are not part of, they're part of mine, but they're actually experiencing their own simultaneously. How do we forget that so often? <laughs> I know, because we're, we're in our own minds. It's really hard to open our minds to think, oh my gosh, the world doesn't revolve around me. Mm, my, like what? You know, and my kid yeah. definitely doesn't realize that yet. The world very much revolves around them as well. Yeah. And how do you kind of bridge those those two worlds to create a mutual, functional, relational yeah, reality? Like a a reconciliation that is family yeah. is reconciling and to, to understand their world while honoring ours and to help them understand that we have a world as well yeah. you know well i liked what she said about trying to bring those sort of intangible things that we do for them and that we do for ourselves mm-hmm. to light because so much of of our job this actual job that we have is invisible things i remember when I was a new mom, Justin coming home and being like, what did you do today? Oh and I was God. just like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was because I couldn't even say half the time what I did because it wasn't, it certainly wasn't things like laundry or getting the dishes because done. Because it or wasn't the clean things. anymore even. Like, no, I could barely even make those checklists. And I'm sure that even, you know, we as more working parents now still have trouble with that. But you know, what if we all gave ourselves the task to be like, okay, I, I gave four hugs. I bathed my kids. I, I mediated three conflicts. I, you know, I mindfully like just sat and watched my kid play instead of thinking about a bunch of other things and not actually being with them in this moment, mm-hmm. you know, that's worthy. That's valuable. That's yeah. wonderful. That's the work of parenting for sure. We should make a checklist. We should, a new we checklist. totally should, or just have yeah. a big whiteboard. And when you walk by and after you've done something, maybe try to jot it up there. And so you can see something. It's just yeah. nice. And then you can give yourself that pat on the back or your partner can give you that pat on the back when you see it at the end of the day, because those things just drift away and they, you know, they feel in some ways more pressure filled, but less important than the things like laundry or dishes or whatever they are. And they're just not. Yeah. Um, Those invisible things count big they time. They count big time. Yeah. And I think too, Han, I like that she says, ask yourself what you did for yourself, whether it's just like I sat and had a cup of coffee for a minute. And what I like about that is it inspires me to be mindfully looking for those moments during the day to actually create them mm-hmm. because it, it, you know, I don't always have that awareness. Like what's, what's for me, what's in it for me? What can I do for myself right now? And I think that's probably really common mm-hmm. for parents, you know, yeah, you and I've even been entertaining ourselves with like, remember that trip that we took to Italy uh-huh. <laughs> and how beautiful was that when we're like in a car of screaming kids, like mm-hmm. we're taking ourselves there. We're giving ourselves that mental treat for a moment. Mm-hmm. It can be something even that simple. Does not oh, have yeah. to be like fantasizing some diamonds That's or huge. something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, mm, this was fun. Yeah. You can learn more about Lindsay at darlingclementineshop.com and on Instagram at Lindsay Meyer Harley or at shop darling Clementine. Join the auction at stillwerisecommunity.com and shop auction number seven this week on Instagram at underscore stillwerise for this June 12th through 19th, where the community will be raising money for the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and the National Abortion Network. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on our conversation with Lindsay Meyer Harley. So get in touch, whether DM, phone, email, or through our website, upbringing.co. Yes. And lastly, you are doing an amazing job. We are really proud of you. And we're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. Thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. And now for the lullaby bye portion of our show, created in the hopes of inspiring us all to personalize our song singing experience with our kids. Yes, to have a little fun, to loosen up a little bit. Yeah. To sing something that we like, that hopefully they'll like, 
that we can share together. This is taste making for our kids future. Mm, yeah. That's in a that's big a, way, right? For sure. It's an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, yep. My kids are a lot less likely to be like, no, not that song when I'm singing one at night than when we're like in the car and they don't want to hear it. Hmm. I think it's sort of a captive audience in a real way. It's like, sure. well, I'm going to sing this song and it's the only one I have or should I go? And they'd be like, no, you should probably sing that song that you love so much you really want to mm-hmm. sing it. <laughs> um, Smooth. Yeah. Um, what do you got for me today, Cal? Well, this is an old standby. I've been singing it since the beginning and it's a favorite. And I was thinking about I was trying to remember the first time that we heard it. Mm -hmm. And I think the picture that came to mind was, we must have been in fifth or sixth grade, and I remember mom sitting us down on a weekend and being like, we're going to watch this movie. Today is a very important day. We're going to watch Harold and Maude. Mm. And we're like, whatever. What are you talking about? Who's this guy with a bowl cut? This old lady with hair braids. She seems so old. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm like, Ruth oh, Gordon. oh my yeah. God, she's like only 70, it's supposed to be 70 in it. Anyway, um, amazing movie, amazing soundtrack by Cat Stevens. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with one of those. And it really, if you want to sing out, sing out really ties in so much with our conversation with Lindsay in an interesting way. Yeah. It just makes me think about the like, you know, your voice is your power and today is your day too. It makes me think about. Harold just living his life, living his dream, doing his thing, and Maud, and yeah. For those of you who don't, well, should we? I don't want to ruin it for anyone who no hasn't spoilers. seen it. No. Yeah. So you know if you've seen it. If yeah. you haven't, you should see it. Basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the lyrics just make me really happy and remind me that this is their day too, and this is their life too. Mm. This is my kid's life, and um, so that's it. I'm going to say And this is our life, too. This is our life. This is it, people. (laughs) We can do what we want, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high. And if you want to live low, live low. Cause there's a million ways to go, you know that there are. You can do what you want, the opportunity's on. And if you find a new way, you can do it today. You can make it all true, and you can make it undo. You see, ah, it's easy. You only need to know Well, if you want to say yes, say yes And if you want to say no, say no Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are And if you want to be me, be me And if you want to be you, be you there's a million things to do, you know.